Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. It has been said that every preacher has exactly one sermon in them. And throughout their lifetime of preaching, their homiletic energy is basically spent trying to both preach and then hear the message of that one sermon. And if truth be told, it is equally true, I believe, that whatever that one sermon boils down to, even if it's preached in a myriad of ways over time, it is the single most important message that that preacher needs to learn. Fifteen years into this adventure of the preaching life, and I think that is accurate. Oh sure, week after week, I try to learn and discern and listen and share new or perhaps finely tuned insights and possibilities of what it is that we are called to do and be as Christians following the way of love. But at the end of the day, I suspect most of what I say and what I need to hear goes something like this. No matter where we are on any given day, no matter what we have done or left undone, no matter who we see staring back at us when we look at the mirror every day, our lives are beautiful love stories waiting to be discovered and seen and lived and shared and embraced and then given away as often as possible. This is not a unique thought, but it is my confession of perspective. It is the place from which I stand and try best as I can to make sense of our church's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, our tradition, our creeds, our sacraments, our rituals, our practices, our commitments, our sacred texts, and all up against the backdrop of our lives that we live every day. In the end, truth be told, I think nearly all of my sermons week after week can be traced back to some facet of the issue or question of identity. Identity. Who are we? Identity. Who do we follow? Identity. What do we promise to do based on that identity? Why do we do what we do? What does it mean to claim the moniker of being a follower of the way or being a part of the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement? And or why does this issue of identity really matter so much? I believe questions of identity are so very important because they ground us in every aspect of our lives especially those aspects of our lives lived outside of the walls that we call the church. Who we are, the choices we make, 
the ways we spend our lives and all our reflections of our, our sense of identity, consciously or unconsciously. So in that way, to break it down, the goal of the preaching life for me is to find ways to help lift up what Jesus did to remind us of things I think we often forget. To remember, to remember that we are indeed wired for connection, courage, and compassion. To commit to living lives, cultivating openness, learning to pay attention, exercising compassion for self and others, and to always stay on the lookout for peace and joy. And just in case some or all of that is elusive and or not memorable, I think most every sermon I have ever needed and wanted to preach boils down to this implicit or explicit maxim. Jesus came offering stories and his life to help us remember who we are called to be. Jesus came offering stories and his life in order to help us remember who we are called to be. We are called to be kind, to be merciful, forgiving, generous, open, attentive, and above all, following Jesus. We are called to risk whatever it takes to err always on the side of love, time and time again. So now that I have shared the homiletic equivalent of a spoiler alert for all my sermons for years to come, what does today's gospel have to do with the question of identity? Today's reading picks up where we left off last week. You'll remember that in last week's passage, Jesus was pushing the disciples a bit, asking them to explain to him why they had just been arguing earlier. That seemed to shut them up because they knew their argument was about who was to be the greatest disciple. And that probably wasn't going to go over well with Jesus. And then to make his point about identity, Jesus lifted up a child, placed it among them, and went on to teach about identity. And went on to teach about what and who and how they will truly be great in the eyes of love, in the eyes of God. So now here we are today, and there seems to be more teaching going on. At first, it seems like Jesus is just admonishing the disciples to ease up a bit and stop worrying about what others are doing in Jesus' name. Makes sense? And how often do I find myself being judgy or critical of how someone else is doing something, especially related to religion at times, even something that maybe I even agree with. So this seems like a reasonable reaction from Jesus and a good reminder for us as well. A reminder to mind our own spiritual business, or as we might say, just to stay in our own spiritual lane. And in fact, it turns out, when we look at the origins and context of this text historically, it seems that the Gospel writer of Mark was dealing with serious conflicts of this sort in early Christian communities as well. Apparently, the early Christian church wasn't all that different than we are today, struggling to find common ground and often disagreeing on any number of issues. 
It has been suggested that perhaps Mark was trying to help his community of faith answer questions of identity. Questions about who they were and how their choices could reflect their sense of who they would be in the world as Christians, as followers of this new Messiah. I hear him asking whether or not these early Christian communities will define themselves over and against other Christians, or will they discover their identity without that judgment or concern for others? Could they perhaps focus their identities instead by their desire to follow Jesus, by caring for the most vulnerable, or maybe seeing those who remain invisible, or avoiding anything destructive to self or neighbor or anything in their community. One of the things so uncomfortable about this passage for me is perhaps how familiar it actually is in a way, how seductive it is often for us to equate our own self-worth on the backs of someone else, directly or indirectly. Can't you just hear the attitude or tone that might have come along as the disciples were reporting all of this to Jesus? They say something like, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he was not following us. Maybe even a little shoulder thing, net thing with that. More complaint than observation, clearly and perhaps even more accusation than complaint. The disciples want Jesus to affirm their judgment and action against another follower because he wasn't doing it right, and he wasn't playing by their rules or following their lead. The disciples, in other words, have decided who they are, their identity, is defined by making themselves over and against this other person. They, thank you very much, are the leaders of this fledgling Jesus movement, and that is more important than others doing things in Jesus' name. And all this happens. All this happens, as we said, almost immediately after Jesus has already spent time schooling them earlier for their arguments about which of them is going to be the greatest. It seems that all of Jesus' scolding did was really to encourage them to stop arguing amongst themselves and instead find a common enemy to bring back to Jesus. Hmm. So I end today simply noticing that questions of identity didn't start with us, nor will they probably ever cease. They are the seminal questions laid before us on the path if we choose to engage. I pray we do day by day, learning from stories like these, stories that remind us we are not alone, stories that remind us we will too indeed make mistakes, and that we can learn from those mistakes, and with God's help, we can keep coming back again and again to stories like these in the sacred texts that help shape our identity as we learn how to become beloved community, following the way of Jesus and walking the way of love. I want to end this morning sharing a reading that I have offered in the past to this community. For me, it too is about identity, and it is a beautiful reminder of what it means, I think, to live from a place 
of expansive love. The Invitation by Oriah Mountain Dreamer It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow if you have open, been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, to be realistic, or to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself. If you can bear the accusation of betrayal, and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty, even when it is not pretty every day, and if you can source your life from God's presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours or mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after a night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. My beloved friends, may the days ahead lead us into places and encounters with others who are willing and able to hear who we are truly and deeply. May we find stories of identity in our lives that convey what sustains us from the inside when all else fails away, how we can be alone with ourselves, and if we truly like the company we keep in the empty moments. May it be so, my dear friends, may it be so.